The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran october is a lot of things it's serious autumn it's halloween and it's also breast cancer awareness month now i've always thought that that was very odd wording I think we've been aware of breast cancer for a really long time. Even if we've been spared the disease ourselves, we know survivors. Probably many of us know people who very sadly did not survive. And I think most people live with the fear, women in particular, of this disease more than any other. So maybe in addition to awareness, We need to know how to prevent breast cancer to the degree that that's possible and how to take care of our breasts and pass this information along to our daughters. On this episode of the Main Street Vegan Podcast, we are going to do just that. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Victoria Moran, and my guest is not simply a noted expert on this topic. She may be the most celebrated breast cancer surgeon and physician in practice today. Her book, Breasts, the Owner's Manual, made the New York Times bestseller list. And when women whose names we know, Cheryl Crow and Angelina Jolie among them, had breast health concerns, they sought out Dr. Funk at her Pink Lotus Breast Center in Los Angeles. Through the Pink Lotus Power Up community, Dr. Funk hosts the Cancer Kicking Powwow podcast and the Cancer Kicking Kitchen. She is both board certified and plant-based. Welcome, Dr. Christy Funk. Hi, Victoria. I'm so glad to be here. It is such a pleasure to be with you today. I knew of your reputation, but when I was on the panel with you on that wonderful plant-powered summit about six weeks ago, it was just like, oh my gosh, my listeners need to hear this woman, at least in one more platform, although you're already all over the place. So thank you so much for making the time to be here. So before we get into the actual tempeh and potatoes of, of our topic today, I'm just interested in you. How did you get to be the kind of physician that you are? 
Well, you know, so I finished my surgical residency in Seattle and then fell in love with, of all things, the esophagus and the stomach. So I really wanted to be a minimally invasive surgeon, which we're talking 2000 and 2001. So it was really in the nascent stages to do laparoscopy, so much so that when I was training, my attendings who are in charge of training me would elbow me out of the way so they could do it because they didn't know how it was so new. So I'm like, okay, this is the future. I need to learn it in a fellowship setting. So I came to Los Angeles where I've been born and raised. So I came home and joined this fellowship in minimally invasive surgery at Cedar sinai Medical Center. And the surgeon who headed that fellowship up also ran the Cedar sinai Breast Center, which was super new, like one, two years old, run by five men over 50. So he's like, oh, you have estrogen. You should run the breast. <laughs> and I was like, huh, that's interesting, but easy. And that was my downfall at that moment. It was like, I had just trained with the best of them to be so good at cardiac surgery, gastric surgery, like the breast just seemed outside your skeleton and not challenging to me. So it took, he was like, oh, no pressure or anything. Just let me know by Friday. <laughs> so I did some deep prayer and soul searching and realized that it was hubris that I had to give up that to me, breast surgery may be easy, but to a woman going through a breast cancer diagnosis and treatment, it was anything but. And it became my passion and my deepest pleasure in life, my deepest reward to join women in what they perceive to be their darkest hours and to hold their hand and to bring clear choices and optimism to what is such a frightening and uncertain time. So that's how I evolved to be a breast surgeon. Um, then there's step two, and that is how I evolved to be a plant-based breast surgeon. I, um, I had always, so I grew up, I'm 51 now. So in the eighties, it was all the rage to avoid bread, pasta, rice, and potatoes. Like I just look at those foods and think I'm going to get fat. Right. So I grew up with a healthy carbohydrate phobia <laughs> and, um, had been vegetarian for like 20 years from 10 to 30, but eating all the dairy and cheese. And uh, when I was a resident, we all gained weight. I was probably up 15 pounds. So I made or tried to make the whole residency do the Adkins with me because that was all the rage. So a bunch of us go on the Adkins and only four made it through. Uh, John lost uh, 40 pounds. Kurt lost 20 pounds. Uh, Sean lost 10 and I gained four. <laughs> But to make it through that, I added back lean meat, chicken, turkey, and fish. So for the following like decade, I was eating some meats again and thought I was so healthy. I thought it was very Mediterranean diet style, right? Lots of fruits and vegetables and some lean meats, but I still avoided all those carbs, right? Then I go to write breast of the owner's manual and I do a deep dive into nutritional science merely to prove that I'm right. So every single fact in my book I have backed by a reference. There's over 80 pages of like 1500 cited studies, partly because I never can be wrong, which makes me a real joy to be married to. Um, <laughs> but I also wanted the book to be bulletproof because I felt like if this book is important enough, bullets will fly and I need it to be Teflon. So I had all my facts backed by science, including things I thought I knew for sure, like 80% of all breast cancers are fueled by estrogen, which is a true fact. But then I'd be like, hmm, maybe it's 82 now, maybe it's 74, right? Like maybe it's changed since I've been saying this step. So everything's back. I dive into nutrition simply to prove 
that the way I eat is correct. As you know now, it's like this Mediterranean diet style. And so blown away and frankly embarrassed that I was categorically wrong about how I was eating and advising my patients. Really just struck by how clear cut the science is when it comes to understanding the cellular response to consuming animal fat and animal protein. It's everything that feeds and fuels cancer. And of course, all of our major killers, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, Alzheimer's, obesity, and how conversely, how clear cut it is that plants do the exact opposite and reverse and stave off these very same illnesses. So that was my direct turnaround. It literally was a single moment where I called at the time our triplet sons were uh, just eight, like a week uh, earlier, they turned eight. And I called them over to the fridge. I'm like, boys, boys, come here, come here. And they come running over and I fling open the refrigerator doors with flair and drama. And I go, boys, we're going vegan. And they're like, yeah, what is vegan? (laughs) I emptied out the fridge. I kid you not four grocery bags filled to the brim with like a big salmon filet in my therapy drawer, a five-year-age Gouda and feta and all these gourmet cheeses and brought it all over to my 85 year old parents and said, here, it's too late for you. (laughs) I I don't believe that actually. It's never too late to make a change, but my parents would never speak to me again if I threw out all of that perfectly good carcinogenic food. So that was the turning point. We literally on a dime just became 100% plant-based and never looked back. At first I said, you know what? We can do a cheat day um, once a month and we never did it. We were like, why? Why would you do that? When we got to that day, we were like, "Mm -mm, no thanks, I'll take the plants. What a wonderful story. How old were your boys then? Eight. Aww. Just eight. What yeah. a perfect age <laughs> to make a big change. Eight or 85. So speaking of family, what about family history of breast disease? Is that something people should worry more about or less? Worry less, but you should worry. In other words, pay attention. I'm not a fan of too much worry and stress. But So here's the deal. Only 5 to 10% of all breast cancer comes from an inherited genetic mutation, such as BRCA or BRCA, which people are usually familiar with. But there's a small handful of other ones, about 11, that predispose you to breast cancer, like CHECK2, PALB2. And generally, your family tree will be littered with quite a few cancers if this gene exists. But again, it's only 5 to 10% of all breast cancer patients having this mutate one of these mutations and 87% of all women diagnosed with breast cancer don't have a single first degree relative with breast cancer 80% don't have any relatives at all so the numbers bear out the fact that when it comes to the causation and promotion of breast cancer risk factors completely under our control are far and away uh, more contributory than our own genes. But having said that, I would throw out a tidy little list for listeners to think about their family, mom and dad's side, you're half your dad's DNA. I don't know where the rumor came about that, oh, that's my dad's side, doesn't matter. It matters. So if you're thinking about those relatives, two or more on the same side with breast cancer prior to age 50 or ovarian cancer at any age. If you're Ashkenazi Jewish, you only need one relative with breast prior to 50 or ovarian at any age. That's because everybody running around has a one in 500 chance of carrying a BRCA mutation. Just by being Ashkenazi, it's one in 40. Then you layer in some cancer there and the risk is higher. 
if you yourself have had breast cancer prior to menopause or breast cancer um, in both breasts or two separate ones in the same breast, so not a recurrence, but two totally different ones in yourself, or if you've had this subtype called triple negative, you would know if you did. Any men in the family tree with breast cancer, any known gene mutation with a direct bloodline to you, pancreatic cancer plus an ovarian, ovarian or breast, or just a whole lot of cancer going on, particularly breast, ovarian, pancreatic, prostate, colorectal, gastric, uterine, and melanoma. So that list is what insurance companies generally go by because it would give you about a 10% or higher risk of having a gene mutation and therefore they will cover it. But it's come down in price so much. At pinklotus.com, we've got a store called Elements and in there is the only FDA approved uh, kit for genetic testing that will get mailed to your home and it's only $239 um, and you get 30 gene mutations tested. You register the kit online, spit in a tube, send it back to the company and it comes with board certified genetic counseling about the results. So if you're just curious, but insurance won't pay for it, or you're worried about um, insurance um, uh, discrimination with things like life insurance, then you could do it just under anonymous. You can call yourself Wonder Woman and send that kid in. Oh, and, and she'll probably be fine, a Wonder Woman. Uh, but yeah. you, you said a phrase that some people might not know what it means. First degree relative, what's a first degree relative? So first degree relatives are only one step away from you, your mother, father, sister, brother, child. Okay, thank you. Yeah. So we're going to get into plants here, which is not something that I think too many people are talking about during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, uh, probably more now than ever, but still not enough. So what's your favorite research study that gives us some of this information? Oh, there are so many. When I give these long lectures, I'm like, oh, this is my favorite study. And people are probably like, I think you already said that 12 times. But I will give you uh, my very favorite because it instills hope and power to women. So I often will get a woman who's 60 something, say, and on the chubby side. And here she is with breast cancer. And then I all excitedly start talking about how we can make these dietary and lifestyle changes. And she looks at me like, Doc, uh, it's too late for me. I mean, I've been living this way for so long. And that's when I get to say, oh, no, sister, let me tell you, it is never too late. Listen to this study. So this particular study that was published in actually 2006 in Nutrition and Cancer took 100 obese women and measured their IGF-1 levels. IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor. This is the big daddy that flies around your body and screams at everything to grow, which is super useful when you're a child needing to become an adult, uh, but what's it doing the rest of your life? It turns, over, it turns out we turn over 50 billion cells a day, like even the stomach cell lining, that's just a 24-hour turnaround. So thanks to IGF-1, those cells get replaced Post-exercise muscles get repaired, it protects your brain, but your liver makes just enough for the tasks of the day. The only way to get an excess is to consume animal protein. And when you do, IGF-1 elevates so much so that now there's, it's still just screaming at everything to grow, but the tasks are done, right? You had enough IGF-1 for that. So now it's screaming at that cancer to grow, grow bigger, grow um, metastasis into the lung, into the liver, grow atherosclerotic plaque and give this person a heart attack, give this person Alzheimer's, right? So IGF-1 is a prerequisite really for all cancer and all diabetes. 
and many other diseases are affected by it, but it's like the big daddy with cancer and diabetes. So type two, um, back to our ladies. So all these ladies have the IGF one level drawn and then IGF one binding protein, which is like a little body snatcher that retires IGF one finally from circulation. And then here's the magic. They took their blood and dripped it onto a Petri dish blanketed with human breast cancer cells. And mm, a few cells died because everybody living has their immune function functional somewhat, right? Now, these women went away and were told to eat a low fat, the Pritikin plan, a low fat, high fiber diet, whole food plant-based with daily exercise classes. And we're talking like sauntering for 30 minutes a day, okay? Not pumping iron or running marathons. So they go do this for how long? 12 days. 12 days later, these women come back. Okay, very minimal amount of time, not the hardest intervention in the world. And now they draw their IGF-1 levels, plummeted. The binding protein skyrocketed and they took that blood Two weeks later, put it on a fresh Petri dish filled with breast cancer cells, and 90% of the cells died on the spot. They literally transformed their blood into a cancer-kicking machine in less than two weeks' time. So I find that study to be the most condemning of animal products and the most liberating and illuminating about the power of plants. And I think it gives women a lot of hope and encouragement to stick with it. If they're finding that, that first transition period to be a little rocky, I, they, they think of that study and they, they want that blood. Wow. There finally is a 12 day wonder diet. I've been looking for that for a long time. <laughs> So, well, I can see why that is at least one of your favorite studies. That's pretty remarkable. So just lifestyle in general, we're just looking at how we eat, how we live, how we do things. What do we need to know for breast cancer prevention or certainly to hedge our bets? Right. So far and away, one of the most important things is going to be following a whole food plant-based diet and minimizing or eliminating meat. And that includes chicken and fish and dairy and eggs. Um, the other lifestyle factors though are very contributory and people are embracing them unwittingly now more than ever with COVID. You see, COVID has created an escalation in all of the big risk factors for breast cancer. So number one, alcohol. Alcohol increases estrogen levels. Estrogen, as I mentioned before, fuels 80% of all breast cancers. Alcohol impairs immune function. It creates a carcinogen called acetaldehyde. It also um, interferes with your body's ability to convert folic acid in your vitamins, folate from your leafy greens into methylfolate. Methylfolate fixes DNA when it goes right, sort of babysits DNA when it divides. But when you drink, you inhibit MTHFR, that enzyme that's going to do the converting. And people are born, 30 to 50% of people are born with a sub-functional MTHFR uh, enzyme. So it's a double whammy. And people who drink, here's a drink, uh, 12 ounce beer equals five ounces of wine equals 1.5 ounces of hard liquor. A drink a day increases breast cancer by 10%, two drinks a day, 30%, three drinks a day, 40% and upwards from there. Oh, so, could you repeat that, please? Oh, yeah. There's someone in my life, um, a woman with whom I would like to share this. Tell me again, one drink is 10%. 
Yes. Well, define a drink, though, is 14 grams of alcohol. So mm -hmm. one 12-ounce can of beer equals five ounces of wine equals 1.5 ounces of hard liquor. And compared to a teetotaler, one drink a day increases breast cancer by 10%, two drinks a day, 30%, three drinks a day, 40%, and upwards from there. Wow. Thank yeah. you. Thank mm -hmm. you. It now, reminds me of on Facebook, something gets posted and somebody just does at and puts their friend's name. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I just did that with you on a podcast. Okay, please continue. <laughs> right. So, well, I was saying how COVID, COVID uh, has escalated alcohol purchases online by almost 500%, according to Nielsen ratings, and the other uh, in-store purchases by 27%. So we're definitely drinking more because of the stress and the boredom uh, that COVID has brought upon us, and it's affecting our breast health. Another, uh, I will put a caveat. If you choose to drink, even the, there's no, technically there's no safe limit of alcohol to consume, but even the American Cancer Society says if you choose to drink, limit it to no more than one a day for women and two a day for men. If you do choose to drink, this is Dr. Funk speaking, I have two uh, suggestions. One, it turns out red wine and only red wine of all of your choices does have a couple of redeeming qualities. It has resveratrol, which is a very potent antioxidant. It's actually studied in uh, research right now as an anti-cancer agent, a standalone agent. So resveratrol, however, is found in the skin of red grapes, the ones with seeds. So you can just eat the grapes and get all the resveratrol um, rather than wine. But red wine will have that and it has aromatase inhibiting properties. I'm going to bring this up now because if we, I know um, we'll probably end up talking about soy, and I want you to understand this. Everywhere you have a fat cell, you have an enzyme. It's called aromatase. Aromatase is turning precursor steroids from your adrenal gland, like androstenedione dione and testosterone, into estrogen. This is why postmenopausal ladies who are overweight or obese have extra estrogen and therefore more breast cancer because they have more aromatase. Red wine acts in part as an aromatase inhibitor, so it's lowering your estrogen levels instead of elevating them. The other thing is a nurse's health study looked at like 89,000 women, I think it was, and they pulled out all the drinkers, those who had one or more drinks a day, and those who consumed the at least 600 micrograms of folate, so way up on the leafy greens to kind of overwhelm the MTHFR so you can get enough methylfolate, had 89% less breast cancer than those who didn't have that much folate. So stock up on your leafy greens if you're gonna have a drink, or we have a supplement called Cosmo Companion, which just combines methylfolate with B6 and B12 and botanicals that protect your liver. That So those are some options for those celebratory moments when you do choose to drink. Uh, other lifestyle factors uh, worsened by COVID and important for, to understand because they're unfortunately always around us. This one, being overweight or obese, I'll just seg right into that since we were talking about the aromatase enzyme. With COVID, gym and park closures and public places, people's exercise routines have like taken a seat on the couch with them and they're working from home sitting and sedentary women have 50 to 250% more breast cancer occurrence, recurrence, and death than normal, than normal weight women. So this is an important risk factor when 72% of Americans are overweight or obese, and now the number's going up thanks to co the, COVID, the COVID curves suddenly appearing on it, people's hips. Um, 
And along those lines, exercise is a standalone risk factor. So weight is one, but exercise or the lack thereof is also a big risk factor. Exercise will lower your estrogen levels and, and boost your immune function. And so that has risk reducing properties as well. Even just briskly walking, huge study, 74,000 postmenopausal women, briskly walking for 11 minutes a day, drop breast cancer by 18%. So as I mentioned, you put a little pep in that step and exercise at moderate levels for three to four hours a week and you drop breast cancer by 30 to 40%. So exercise is a real biggie. So we've got alcohol and exercise and weight and proper nutrition, avoiding animal products and embracing plants. Another biggie is stress. People are so stressed out now more than ever with COVID because they're worried about finances in the future, et cetera, but they're anxious and depressed and lonely and isolated. A lot of my single friends, oh, they're just so isolated. And this worries me. There was a great study called LACE, Life After Cancer Epidemiology Study, followed 2,200 early stage breast cancer patients for 10.8 years. And what they found is those reporting out low levels of social support and or religious and social co connectivity were 58% more likely to have died during the study period than those with high levels of support. So at pinklotus.com, we have a huge community called Power Up, and in there is Breast Buddies, you can, or you can just go to breastbuddies.com. But Breast Buddies, uh, it, there are thousands of women in there, and it's totally free. And what it does is it pairs newly diagnosed women or pre-vivors looking at like a BRCA carrier wanting to discuss prophylactic mastectomy. So you've got those newly diagnosed paired age for age, stage for stage, treatment for treatment with those who have been there, done that solely for the purposes of social support and connection and friendship. If you live in the same city, post-COVID, you may meet for a cup of coffee, but this is international, multilingual, so you could just connect you know, via Zoom or Skype, which everybody's now so much more familiar with. I'm really fond and proud of Breast Buddies because I think it, it, it addresses this need amongst women who don't have a BFF, who maybe like they don't like their families that much. And they're going through this cancer journey feeling isolated and alone to think that they have a higher risk of dying from that simple. This is a simple solution and a beautiful one. So if you've ever had breast cancer, please join breastbuddies.com. You have so many amazing resources. It, it's just, it's, it's such a grace offered to this world. Very quickly in our one minute before commercial break, you said meat for coffee. Does coffee have any bearing on breast cancer incidents? It actually reduces breast cancer. The methyl, methyl xanthines in coffee reduce breast cancer in BRCA carriers even, who are you know largely considered at the mercy of their DNA mutation. Uh, it reduces it, though you have to drink five cups a day. Now, having said that, caffeine can cause breast tenderness and breast cysts, but neither of those things is cancer. So if you love your, your uh, soy milk lattes, you're, you won't hurt your breasts at all. Terrific. After the break, we're back with more. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. 
everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. If you are new, I would like to invite you to visit my website, MainStreetVegan.net. And if you'd like to get our blog and our occasional newsy letter, you can just text VEGAN, in all caps, to 55444. And that'll put you right on the list. Now, speaking of blog, this week's is one that I wrote, and it's called Comfort Foods from Ayurveda. And I really need to talk this up a little bit because there is a chai tea recipe that I kind of took from other people's recipes and put together. It is so heavenly. I, I mean, it is just so good that the only negative part is that I think about all the money that I spent and sugar that I consumed having chai tea at Starbucks for years. (laughs) And I can't undo that. But this one is, of course, all vegan and no sugar. And it's just so comforting. And a little comfort is always good, especially for COVID times. So text vegan to 55 Four, four, four. And while you are making notes of places to visit, our wonderful guest's website is pinklotus.com. And there you can find Power Up and the Cancer Kicking Kitchen and the Element Store and all sorts of wonderful resources, wonderful, helpful resources. And Dr. Funk is Dr. Dr. Christy Funk on Instagram and on Twitter, and we will put all of her URLs on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So, October, something's going on with you and PCRM. What's that? Ooh, yes. So, (laughs) this is our second year uh, launching the Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign. So, we've teamed up with some major awesome celebs like Alicia Silverstone, James Cameron, John Stewart, Alec Baldwin, Ted Danson, Mary Steenberg, and amazing people. And I have teamed up then with PCRM, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, to launch the letsbeatbreastcancer.org campaign. We encourage women to simply take a pledge a pledge to follow a four-pronged approach to beating breast cancer. And it, the four prongs are a fork, so you'll get it when I say <laughs> one thing, yes, is to choose plant-based foods, to exercise regularly, to maintain a healthy weight, and to minimize alcohol. We give you a free e-cookbook just for signing up. There are a bunch of fun giveaways and raffles that you're automatically entered into and you get a bunch of newsletters weekly that detail the how-tos to accomplish those four goals. So it's a really fun, upbeat campaign. I encourage everybody to take the pledge. Let's beat breastcancer.org. 
Oh, that's wonderful. And we'll put that on the show notes as well. There's just something about signing up. It makes it very serious on the day that you get up and don't want to put the gym shoes on. Right. So good deal. Thank you. And, and there's nobody like PCRM. I mean, Dr. It's Barnard and his people have been doing such good work for so long. Everything they do is, you know, backed by science and it's done in style. Everything from their graphics department to their food photography is flawless. I love or it's my honor to work with PCRM and everything that they're doing. And I'm sure that the honor goes both ways. So (laughs) we do have some questions that came in online. I love this one. It's from Sarah, who started her question by saying, I love her with three exclamation marks. (laughs) I'll pass (laughs) that along. So she is asking, what are some of your favorite recipes? What are your own meals look like for a day? Or, or what does your whole day look like for oh. ultimate cancer prevention with exercise and all the healthy habits in there? Okay, so Sarah, you are going to love the Cancer Kicking Kitchen. I'm building it, but I've got some of my absolute favorite recipes already up, so nobody has to wait for them. Um, so check out the Cancer Kicking Kitchen at pinklotus.com for some of my faves, but I'll tell you what my day looks like. So every morning I have one of two things. I either have my Dr. Funk's antioxidant smoothie, which is also on the site. And this I've been actually, it predates my vegan days. In other words, I've been adding ingredients whenever I come across a research study that has names of food as having really outrageous anti-cancer properties. It goes in the smoothie. So I've been building on it since 2012. And um, it takes a second to make it, but you get so used to it. I can now zip it up in less than a minute and a half. Um, But it's got a base of plant milk, but I always pick soy milk um, because of all the milks that has the most anti-breast cancer power. It's got two huge fistfuls of leafy greens, two cups of berries, and then we get some flax in there, turmeric and the pepper to activate it. We get the flax, that's the fat, so you got your whole turmeric thing going on. And here's a secret weapon ingredient, aloe vera gel. That has really remarkable anti-inflammatory properties. So anyway, I got this whole smoothie thing going on. You can get that recipe. But we have that, the kids too. I would say three to four days, mornings a week. If I don't have that, I always have oatmeal. And here's something I learned about oatmeal. Um, you You don't want to cook it because then you destroy what would be resistant starch. So I just put an oatmeal in a bowl. I put in two tablespoons of ground flax seeds, a bunch of cinnamon, and I top it with a bunch of frozen berries and um, fill it with the soy milk and cap it. And then I take it to work. And about two hours later, I eat it. So basically it's been soaking all that time and the berries unfreeze. And now these oats go straight through your small intestine into the colon and feed as a prebiotic, delicious fiber, feed that microflora, the microbiome there, exactly what it wants. So don't cook your oats and only use old-fashioned or um, um, steel cut. The other ones, never. Don't use the instant. Don't use the one minute. They're cut too thin and they become sugar too fast. So I learned all sorts of things when I do my recipes. So that is my typical breakfast. Typical lunch is a huge salad. Like you're like, oh, look, is your whole family eating that? No, it's mine. It's just my <laughs> massive um lots of veggies in there and then something a little bit more filling and substantial like a layer of lentils or 
an entire can of black beans I get in there. Um, and then dinner, I have a, several posted. I have a couple of uh, veggie lasagnas or like a Mexican casserole. We do vegan burritos. That's, that's a typical dinner. And exercise, oh, ugh, during COVID. Okay, so it's driving me crazy that the kids are zooming it in for school and then all they want to do is watch um, watch videos of other people playing Minecraft or playing Minecraft themselves. It's an odd thing that I'm seeing and or talk to their friends. So it's, it's ridiculous and it's a big fight every day, but I feel pretty good about myself because I shifted my work schedule and I recommend this to everyone with children. I shifted my work schedule to 9.30 a.m. I wake the boys up at 6.30 every day, Andy and I do, my hubby, and they roll over and ignore us, but we are out that door by 7.15, and we rotate three activities. We're right uh, near the beach bike path here in Santa Monica, so we jump on the bike path and ride 15 miles, or we run on it five miles, or across the street, we've got hiking trails, and we hike a three mile mountain hike with some elevation gain every morning. Then I get them like exercised and fed and watered and <laughs> out the door. So I do exercise every day, um, for around an hour. Good for you. And how about the kind of auxiliary stuff? Do you get a lot of sleep? Do you do some kind of stress management or is that just extra? No, I do get plenty of sleep generally between seven and nine hours a night. And I sleep well, um, if you don't sleep well, I would suggest that you eliminate all screens for the hour prior to bed. That really has become in our day and age, a, uh, a melon, a melatonin zapper. And without your melatonin, you don't get knocked out at night. So I sleep well. And every morning, my first 10 minutes are in prayer. And throughout the day, I do like flash meditation. I basically spend literally just a minute and maybe do it three or four times a day. And I set an alarm to do it. So I remember, and I'm like, you know, taking stock of my stress level when that alarm goes off. Deep breathing is shockingly effective. So just like a good five second inhale through the nose and eight seconds out through the mouth will stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system, which sends these calming chemicals through your blood and actually drop that cortisol. So that's a couple other things I always do. Wonderful. And now here's another question, and it actually alludes to something that you said just a little bit ago. This is from Adrian, who wants to know your take on soy and breast cancer. She says there's still so much confusing information out there. My good friend, who is vegan, now has breast cancer for the third time. It's metastatic, and she won't touch soy. Um, Adrian, I'm really sorry to hear about your friend having a metastatic cancer I have some good news for her, though. She can put that miso back in her soup. It is an embarrassment of mine that, again, back to the top of our hour together, I mentioned doing a deep dive into nutritional science. Well, I went into that same said nutritional science to prove that for 18 years as a breast cancer surgeon, I was correct in telling everybody to spit the soy milk out of their mouths, and I could not have been more embarrassed at how wrong I was because not only is soy, it's not just neutral, it's actually breast cancer protective. So a quick biochem lesson here. We've got two receptors for estrogen in our bodies, alpha and beta. Alpha is on the cancer cell. And when your own circulating estrogen hits that receptor, like a little antenna sticking on the cell, it's 
it makes the cell multiply and divide. But with 1,600% more affinity, soy, the genistein and other isoflavones in soy, hit the bullet. And number two, it goes out into those fat cells we already talked about containing that aromatase enzyme, which makes more estrogen, and it shuts aromatase down. So does science agree with me? If you look prior to 2009, you'll be looking at petri dishes and mice. But since 2009, there have been eight excellent large volume studies in multi-ethnic women. So it's not just the Asians and maybe you could get confused for because they eat more soy. So they're easier to study soy effects. But it's, you know, right. So in multi-ethnic studies, we see in those who consume high versus low soy amounts. And I will qualify when we say soy in these studies. And I looked at it. They're really just talking about soy milk or tofu, it's not like um, tempeh or miso, you know, or um, natto, which is a little hard for people, some people. Um, you know, it's your basic soy, soy milk and tofu stuff. And some of these um, high consumers are literally one and a half servings a week. And I advocate for two to three a day. All right, so back to the studies. In causation, we see a between 30 and 60% drop in breast cancer for those who consume high versus low amounts of soy particularly in adolescence, you'll get more protection down the road. Then if you already have breast cancer, should you avoid soy? Because now you have an estrogen-driven cancer. No, whether or not you are on an estrogen-blocking prescription drug, those that are high versus low soy consumers have 60% less recurrence and 30% less death from breast cancer. So soy it up. Wow, great. And can I just ask quickly, why did you believe all that anti-soy stuff? Because you were question. a trained physician. Oh, completely untrained in anything that has to do with food. So we, many people don't realize that MDs get zero about nutrition. You learn things like the Krebs cycle and how we make ATP energy and stuff, but not the importance of food. There is no importance in our minds because then you grow up after all these years in the books and then in the wards and you finally get to do whatever you're meant to do as a practice. You think, well, if nutrition were so important, somebody would have said something along the way or give, given a whole class on it. So you just get entrenched in your practice and in your way of dealing with patients like a hammer and a nail, like this is what I got for you, you know, and you don't explore nutrition because you feel like, well, there mustn't be anything in all that literature. And after I worked all day, you think I'm going to crack open like some leafy green journal? <laughs> nothing, right. So I, like most physicians only had heard that soy contained a plant-based estrogen. And I would literally tell patients, look, you think a receptor is that discerning? It doesn't care whether that estrogen came from a plant or horse's urine, which is what Premarin is made from the a hormone replacement therapy. Um, no, it doesn't care. It's just going to feed and fuel it just the same as your own estrogen from your ovary. And that was where it ended. I had done a tiny bit of research uh, predating 2009 and seen that like in mice, they would graft breast cancers and then feed them soy. In about 10% of the mice, the, the cancers would grow. But it turns out that women aren't mice. Sometimes we behave the same way. Sometimes we don't. And thankfully, when it comes to soy, we don't. But there was just a little bit, there was enough confusion out there suggesting that maybe soy was bad that I was like, you know what? How much do you like soy? Just forget about it. You have breast cancer, no more soy for you. But okay. Thank you. So I know I have 
another couple of questions from you, and I have, I think, five from, from Nivi, and uh, Nivi is a, a wonderful health coach, so she's really getting into <laughs> the nitty-gritty here. So this one may be quick. She's saying for a whole foods, plant-based, oil-free vegan who has breast cancer in the family, how about um, exposure to toxins? What would you say about that? Yeah, so there are these endocrine disrupting compounds that we live with. They're ubiquitous in our lives. You know, like you wake up in the morning on the input sunscreen on your face. That's an EDC. The gas pump you handled at the station, EDC. The plastic fork or water bottle from lunch, EDC. The detergent you wash your pillow with. You know, everything is a potential endocrine disrupting compound and it can be maddening to try to control them all. So what I recommend that people do is kind of just recognize the biggies and try to limit those exposures. And really the best way to limit your exposures would be to, same as COVID, wash your hands frequently and always before you eat and dust and vacuum because chemicals that our estrogen mimickers can fly off flame retardant electronics and couches. So just collect it uh, by zipping it up. You know, it's in the dust. Another huge one is plastics. But here's the ironic thing. So I always kind of smirk to myself silently. When I see someone who's like eating a conventionally raised beef burger from whatever place, right? But they literally are like, oh, no, no, no. I don't drink water out of plastic bottles because of the BPA. Okay, it's a nice sentiment, but here's what you don't know. The Xeranol is shoved behind every baby calf's ear to make it grow fat fast because it's got to be like 1,800 pounds by slaughter time in, I don't know what it is, eight, yeah, 18 months, I think it is, 15 to 18 months they slaughter. So they use Xeranol. It is the most potent synthetic estrogen on planet Earth, and it is 100,000 times the estrogenic influence in your body than the BPA in plastic. So if you're eating that conventionally raised beef burger without the plastic water bottle, um, you just need to learn learn your risks better. But that's also an example though of like, we're, yes, we should ban plastics, use glass, steel, ceramic in your house um, and don't serve drinks in, in plastics or plastic with BPA. But also know that just by being plant-based, you've already eliminated really the vast majority of these estrogens and estrogen mimickers that we unwittingly ingest from the process of cooking or that's naturally in the meat. Um, but you can make better choices, of course, for household products. Um, you, you can trade nonstick Teflon pans for cast iron or stainless steel, and you can put a high-efficiency particulate air filter, you know, HEPA filter in rooms where you spend the most time. And when you it comes time to replace big items like a couch or a mattress, maybe you want to select those that contain naturally less flammable material like wool or cotton. And then my favorite tip is to grow houseplants. So um, all these synthetic materials in your house, carpets, couches, ovens, they're all emitting chemicals. But in NASA, you know, our in uh, astronauts discovered that houseplants absorb these harmful toxins from the air. And my favorite part is that they're like completely hard to kill. So it's great for people like me. These are, and they're common. And it's like mother-in-law's tongue, the peace lilies, um, aloe vera plants and potted mums. Um, if you're a little more talented, you could try bamboo or English ivy, rubber plants. So putting these around your home are more than decorative. They actually are decreasing toxins. You can always go to cosmetic 
companies that specifically say that they're fragrance-free and then they're not using the phthalates that are so ubiquitous in parabens. And finally, exercise. Just toxins are excreted through sweat separately from stool and urine. So exercising regularly is going to limit your toxic exposures. Wow. You, you are like Wikipedia, but delightful. Uh, another question uh, from Nivi. The Pink Ribbon campaign has been usurped by the dairy industry and even the processed foods industry, which has an impact on consumer decision making. As a plant-based breast cancer specialist, how do you counter and caution your patients about this within your practice? Well, Nivi, I don't actually specifically like give any lip service to these campaigns because they're always like fried chicken, right? Or yogurt. They're the foods that I want them to avoid in the first place. So I don't have them unwittingly supporting these campaigns that are already a part of foods that I want them to avoid, strictly avoid. So I don't really talk about the campaigns, but I do just emphasize the foods they're supposed to eat. And I will be the first to hop on a pink ribbon around the broccoli floor. It's a, the store. <laughs> Great. And then she's talking about um, someone who, who is on a keto diet because of a history of epilepsy, a, a regular meat keto diet. And, and mm-hmm. Nivi is asking if vegan keto would be an option for someone like this. And relatedly, what's your view of, quote, vegan keto, especially from a women's health perspective? Oh, you know what? 100% you should help this client transition to a vegan keto diet. Now, here's the deal. There was a study published from Harvard in 2010. It followed over 120,000 people for 25 years. And they were eating either a conventional keto diet or uh, what they called like an eco-Atkins diet. So it was a a vegan um, keto diet. And their source of fat and protein was coming from a lot of the meat, um, the fake meats, right? So you've got your soy burgers and your veggie deli slices and your veggie sausages, but also from avocados and olives and lots of seeds and nuts. So those are your high fat, high protein and low carb people. And what they found is that relative to a regular diet, okay, so now we don't have a vegan control group and I'm gonna go out on a limb and say the vegans would have won, however, we've got the the vegan regular eaters, right? The more high carbohydrate eaters. Um, But we've got our regular diet. And if you think of that as the line straight across, the all-cause mortality and mortality from cancer and mortality from cardiovascular disease was a solid 25% higher than the regular diet people in those who ate a typical keto that's heavy on the animal-based fats and protein. Now, so where do you think the vegan keto people fall relative to the regular diet? They were about 25% less likely to die from all-cause mortality, cancer, and uh, cardiovascular disease. So it was categorically healthier than just a normal diet and way healthier than than the uh, typical animal-based keto. So I would encourage a vegan keto if that's truly going to help her with her epilepsy. But I also think that for weight loss, it can be like a fun foray for a week or two, but it's not the most sustainable way to eat. And ultimately it is high fat and all of these processed 
uh, vegan meats generally have a lot of terrible oils, which are quite inflammatory and not good for your arterial lining, your endothelium. And I would, this isn't a study that I've that I've seen, but if you did a vegan keto diet versus your typical more uh, heavy carb diet of a vegan, you're going to find that the ones doing keto still have more atherosclerotic plaque and cardiovascular disease and death and than, um, than the just routine more heavier on the plants. Okay. Thank you. So in, in a mere two minutes, so I guess it's one minute each for Pink Lotus Elements and the Cancer Kicking Summit. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> I know you're from New from LA, but talk like a New Yorker. Okay. Well, this is a Pink Lotus Elements. You want to check this out. It's a leading online women's health and breast cancer store. We vetted everything that's there. It's got tons of research behind every product. There's nothing kitschy like ribbon earrings. It's all intelligently, uniquely formulated supplements with randomized controlled trials against placebo for several of them. So Menopause Miracle is a three Asian herb blend, works like a miracle on all major menopause symptoms, hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness, mood swings. Cosmo Companion, we mentioned if you drink alcohol, we've got our multi must have, which is a very smart multivitamin, better than anything I've ever seen. Joint Peace for joint pain. Then we've got important um, things that help people along the breast cancer journey, like an anti-inflammatory gel that minimizes blistering and discomfort during radiation. Um, so that that's our aloe vera gel and then a shower shirt, et cetera. So that's that. And then I invite everybody to sign up and join me at my virtual summit where I take my 25 years of learned wisdom as a doctor and distill it down into 12 hours of actionable steps that you can and should take to maximize your health and dramatically transform your life. There are 10 steps and food is only one of them, ladies. So please join me, sign up today for the virtual Cancer Kicking Summit. And we get to that at uh, pinklotus.com, correct? Yes. Okay. Slash, hmm? slash summit, pinklotus.com slash summit. Okay. Oh, my goodness. I, I want to go shopping and um, pull out your book again. And really, gosh, thank you. Thank you so very much for sharing your enormity of wisdom and I just also want to thank you for the name of, of your company, the name of your clinic, because Pink Lotus feels friendly and and accepting and helpful at a time when so many women are afraid. And I think a lot of us are just afraid in general because it's such a scary illness. But to go to a place called Pink Lotus and have a physician like you well, there just doesn't seem a whole lot better than that. So thank you. And everybody, thanks for listening. God bless. Eat your veggies. See you next time. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. 
Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on The Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.